0: Amen. Good morning. What an exciting, awesome day. I love to hear the stories of uh, changed lives. and um, one, one of the things that you understand about that is um, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is doing this work. And we're going to be in, in the book of Acts this morning and looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit one of the things that you understand about the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that it, it begins with a ceiling for salvation. So when you put your uh, life in Christ's hands, when you say, I'm going to commit my life to Christ and He's going to be my Lord and Savior, then um, God honors that. He, that is something that He promised in His Word that if you will believe, He will save. You don't save yourself. None of us save ourselves. We All we can do is is cry out to God for salvation, and He says that He will certainly do that. He will save you. Um, So so we have faith, and He has grace, and somehow these two things kind of work together to create this changed life. Now, the, the thing that the Holy Spirit does initially is that He seals a person for salvation. So what that looks like is a seal is a guarantee. So the Holy Spirit comes into your life, changes your nature... Um, which uh, we, we all wish that that nature changed more uh, fundamentally and absolutely to where we didn't sin anymore, but that's not exactly how it works. Um, what it looks like is a change of motive, a change of desire, so that we begin to desire the things of God and, and not the things of the world, but we're still wrestling with that old nature and trying to give more uh, emphasis and intention and desire to the holy spirit 's work in our life so we 're moving in that direction while we 're still fighting that old sin nature. Now we usually talk about the the work of the Holy Spirit in terms of that that seal that now you're saved you have the holy Spirit you 're guaranteed to go to heaven etc today we 're going to go into kind of the secondary now, I don't know if it's the secondary, but it's it's another aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is to empower the Christian to serve, to have a ministry. And some of the things that uh, we usually forget about is that uh, when you are a Christian and you have been given the Holy Spirit, then you're now empowered to do things for God. That it's not just all about me anymore, and now it's about how my life is being used by God to continue to make him known, to minister to others, to help somebody, to share the gospel, et cetera. And so uh, some of that gets a little bit muddy because there's been so much emphasis in church history on the pastors and the clergy and the ordained and et cetera to where the quote-unquote layperson... Uh, kind of thinks that ministry is for professionals and uh, and a, as a non-ministry person or a non-professional, I don't really have a ministry and that is an absolute lie, okay? Um, your ministry as a Christian is just as significant and every bit as important as any professional minister that is ministering anywhere in the world and in some ways even more important because your ministry in the day-to-day, wherever you are in your workplace, in your family, is a place where a professional cannot be, or will not be, or maybe shouldn't be. That we have a ministry to do, each and every one of us, that is is very, very important. Um, And if we don't see our life that way, then I think we miss um, a lot of what Scripture is guiding and directing and helping us to understand about what it means to be a Christian. Okay, so... Um, that's not the sermon yet, but we're getting to it. Let's stand as we read God's word this morning. We're in Acts chapter eight and uh, we're picking it up in verse 14 and we're kind of picking it up in the middle of a a story here, but we'll catch you up here in a minute. Says this, says now when the, the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Different, <laughs> different than Simon's Lord. We pray for everything uh, of your word, uh, the promises, the the guarantees, the blessings, the uh, the even the commands, even the uh, the prophecies, Lord. All of it um, would be given to us. Would be uh, made um, enlightened. Uh, that we would have revelation. That we have understanding. <laughs> that we would have the the power and the gift of your Holy Spirit to. Uh, be aware and uh, to be knowledgeable and to be uh, empowered to live out all that you've called us to. Um, We thank you that the promises of your word tell us about salvation, the promises of your word tell us about um, our purpose in the world, why we're here, Um, what is the meaning of life, Lord. Some people say it's such a struggle to know that, Lord, we don't struggle, we know we're here to glorify you. We're here to make you known. We're here to help people to see uh, their value in Christ and uh, their need for Christ, Lord. And I pray that we would take all these things, receive them openly uh, with an open heart, open mind, open spirit, Lord, that you would uh, take your word, plant it deep in our hearts and minds and bear fruit and do all that you want. Lord, we're, we're ready for you to do what you wanna do and uh, guide and direct us. Uh, for your glory in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So the the story that we're in right now is about two characters primarily. One is Simon the sorcerer. He's the kind of the main character, but uh we'll get to him in a minute. The other character is a, another lesser known character which is Philip the deacon. Philip the deacon is one that we don't really talk a lot about, although we see his uh, his ministry throughout the book of Acts. Uh, we'll get to him in a minute, but before we can even understand his ministry, we have to go all the way back to chapter one of Acts. Now, what's going on is that Philip has gone to Samaria in chapter eight to minister, to share the gospel, to um, to do all that God's called him to do, uh, to bring people to Christ. And Samaria uh, begins to just receive that message. There's miracles done, people getting saved all over the place. But before you understand why that's so important, you have to understand what was going on uh, with the church. So in Acts chapter 1, what happened was Jesus has been crucified on the cross for our sins. He's risen from the dead, paying for sin and death so that he's conquered both. He rose from the dead. He ministers or he teaches his disciples for 40 days, and then he ascends into heaven and he goes at the right hand of the Father. And before he does that, in Acts chapter 1, he gives his disciples one final command, promise, prophecy. He says, you will be my witnesses. Many of you know this this passage. You will be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to where? The ends of the earth. And and what he's saying here is that this is a prophecy. This is how the, the gospel is going to be presented and shared and and spread. It's also uh, a promise. This is definitely going to happen. And it's also a command. You will be my witnesses in terms of you need to be willing to go wherever I send you. And you might have to go to people that don't look like you, don't talk like you, that maybe you even have a hard time understanding or maybe don't even like. And that's where Samaria comes into that whole scenario because these were people that the Jewish people didn't really get along with. But what happens here is that the, 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 the scenario, the, the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth is how you understand the whole book of Acts. This is what is happening in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is how the gospel is spreading. This is how God is working. And when you see that, you also see that this is a way to understand how evangelism works. Evangelism is a fancy word meaning the sharing of God's uh, good news that Jesus is the Savior. This is how it works. And we describe it this way, um, technical terms, E0 evangelism, E1 evangelism, E2 evangelism, and E3. You got that? E0123. So what that means is on the E0 level, this is Jerusalem. This is when the disciples or the apostles in the church, they receive the Holy Spirit. And where do they go immediately? From the upper room into the temple. They go to religious people. They go to people who already believe. They go to people who are very familiar with scripture. They go to people that are worshiping. And they share the, the good news of Jesus Christ with them. The Holy Spirit does miracles. The first miracle is that some people that are from different countries can understand what they're saying in their language. So the miracle is the gift of tongues. They, they speak the gospel, people understand it, and they're all amazed. They're like, how can this happen? They're saying one thing, and we're hearing it in our language, and it was confirmation that a miracle was happening and that the message was true, okay? But that's E0 evangelism, meaning that you have people that are just right on the edge of believing. They just need a nudge, they just need a little confirmation and then they'll believe. And so 3,000 people get saved that day because the ministry of the Holy Spirit is effective and working, and the confirmation of the Holy Spirit through a miracle is happening. And so people come to believe because they're already religious, they're waiting for the Messiah. They just need that push. And here's what E Zero Evangelism is today in the church context, when we're together in, in a regular worship setting. Churches all across the nation, all across the world, there are people who attend church on a weekly basis who don't yet believe, who haven't quite gotten to that point where they're willing or where they're understanding or where they're receiving, whatever the case may be, the Holy Spirit's ministry of salvation because something is, is not quite happened yet. But then something clicks, something, they understand something, they they have a, a moment of, of revelation, they have a feeling, they have a, somebody, you know, explaining it to them more clearly, and boom, you have E-Zero evangelism, people that are in the church who are not yet saved that get saved because they have a nudge. Some, some nudge happens and they get saved, they, they receive Christ, they become a believer, and we have... E0 evangelism. That makes sense? That's the Jerusalem of today. We're speaking the gospel. And so the E2 or E1 is Judea. And so what was happening in Acts was that as they were doing this and people's lives are changed and they're receiving the, the, uh, you know, the message and they're understanding the word, they're going out and they're living their lives in the region. Judea is just the, the neighborhood or, or the region around Jerusalem. It's just that, that part of, of Israel. So they'd go out and they would go to their workplaces, they'd go back to their families, they'd go back into the community, and people who were not as religious would be impacted by people who had gotten saved, and, and they're encouraged, and they're seeing something different, and they're hearing something different, and they, they become kind of more sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit and the message of the gospel, and they get saved, and that's E1 evangelism. It's just Mercer County. It's just people that are like us in our area, look like us, live like us. They go to the same places we go. They, they work with us. We're, we're in their lives. They're in our homes. And for whatever reason, as you're living your life out as a Christian, they're seeing it. They're understanding something. Maybe you invite them to church. Maybe you invite them to a Bible study. Maybe you just talk to them. But somehow or other, that E1 is just the people around us that are kind of like us that come to, to understand the gospel. E2 is what Samaria is, okay? So before we get there, we've got to understand how they get there. So in Acts, you see that the gospel is spreading, things are happening, the church is growing, um, and then um, problems begin to start, okay? Wherever there is church growth, there are going to be church uh, problems, <laughs> okay? And there's a conflict, and the conflict is that um, the... Well, the, the disciples start a, a soup kitchen, basically, and so they're feeding the widows and the orphans, and they're kind of ministering to people, you know, who have you know basic needs, and uh, there becomes this conflict between what they call the uh, the Jewish widows and the Hellenistic widows. Hellenistic, um, to get technical, it basically was what Greek, what we translated it Greek. Greece was always called Helios, before we called it Greece. That's a fairly recent terminology we use for that country. Before that, it was called Helios. And and what that means is that Andrew, or uh, yeah, Andrew the Great, Alexander the Great, sorry, Alexander the Great uh, wanted to Hellenize or Greekify the world. Okay, he wanted everybody to speak Greek. Have a Greek culture, have a Greek understanding of the world. And so he worked really hard when he was conquering the world to make the world Greek. And so the, the Jewish people in, in Jerusalem and Judea, they were kind of these people that were holdouts. They were not going to be become Hellenized. But people all over the world, even the Jewish people outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea, they had a Greek culture, a Greek language, a Greek uh, background, and yet they were still Jewish. So there was this kind of a we're kind of better than you thing going on with the the people that were Jewish and didn't ever give in to that Greek stuff and the people that were Hellenized and they were speaking Greek and they were living in a Greek way in a lot of ways. And so when they came into this context, into Jerusalem, there was kind of this little battle back and forth about who's better. okay? And so the Greek or the Hellenized Jews in the church were feeling like they weren't really being treated fairly so the disciples said okay or the apostles are like we're we're not gonna do this ministry this soup kitchen thing it's it's good ministry and and somebody needs to do it but it's just not our ministry we're gonna pay attention to the word and prayer and then we're, we're gonna um, nominate some some godly people who have the holy spirit who are capable leaders to do this this other ministry and the other ministry wasn't just like a soup kitchen, the other ministry was dealing with conflict in the church. And they called those people deacons. Okay, so they called deacons, they, they give them the authority and the office and the ability to, to deal with this other ministry. Okay, so one of the most famous deacons was named Stephen. Remember him? What is Stephen Stephen famous for? First martyr. So he is so full of the Holy Spirit, and he's such a a good debater, he begins debating with the Jewish people who didn't yet receive Christ to the extent that they couldn't stand him. You ever been in an argument with somebody that you couldn't win? And what do you want to do? You want to kill him, right? I mean, that's just normal. So (laughs) that's just me? Okay. So anyway, that's a joke, people, okay? Just, it's all right, that's... And so what happens is that the Jewish people, they really do want to kill Stephen. They do kill him. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, before he gets saved, he's standing there holding on to their coats while all the other people are throwing rocks at Stephen, killing him. And he's nodding and giving the thumbs up like, yeah, this is, this is exactly what we need to be doing. And so he goes on a rampage and starts persecuting the church to the extent that the, the, all the Christians are just fleeing out of Jerusalem except for the Apostles. The apostles stay in Jerusalem, but all the other Christians begin to just flee. And this is it's partly a satanic uh, persecution of the church. It's also part of how God uses dark, wrong things to accomplish His will as well. The Romans says that uh, all things work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And so even though this is not a good thing, God is going to use that to accomplish a good thing, which is that He's going to spread the gospel through all these Christians leaving Jerusalem into all the rest of the world. One of the other deacons is named Stephen, or named, uh, I'm sorry, named Philip. Okay, and Philip uh, is also an apostle. There's a Philip that's an apostle. There's a Philip that's a deacon. But the Philip that's who, who is an apostle stays in Jerusalem, because all the apostles stay in Jerusalem. Philip, who is a deacon, leaves like all the other people leave. And so he goes into Samaria. The next thing that he does after Samaria, I'll come back to Samaria in a second, is that he goes to the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember that story? Ethiopian eunuch is in his chariot riding along, reading scripture. I guess he took a break somewhere along the way, reading Isaiah and Philip, by the Holy Spirit, is led to go eavesdrop on him, and apparently he's reading out loud, and, and he's like, I don't know what this means, and Philip says, that, that's talking about Jesus. He, and he shares the gospel with him, the Ethiopian eunuch gets baptized and is saved right then and there. Now, that's E3 evangelism, okay? And what that means is that this is cross-cultural. The Ethiopian eunuch doesn't look like Philip. He's a different color. He, he has a different native language. He's a different culture, and Philip... Through the power of the Holy Spirit, they do speak Greek, probably both speak Greek because everybody spoke Greek. Uh, but he's able to minister to him and to share the gospel with him. The Holy Spirit takes that ministry and, and does a powerful work. So that's E3 evangelism. But before E3, there was E2, he goes to Samaria. Samaria is an area in Israel, but it's it's different. Okay, it's a different part of the country, they have a different, you know, accent. <laughs> they're they're not quite related they're a little bit related to the Jewish people, but they they've kind of been a little bit different they've intermarried with uh, people that that uh, the Lord said not to and so they kind of have a this blended thing going on and the Jewish people didn't really like them they would they would go around Samaria they didn't want to go through Samaria usually because they felt like it was contaminated and they didn't want to be contaminated. You get all that kind of stuff going on and so what happens is that Philip, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is led to go to Samaria, share the gospel, and those people begin to get saved. He He's doing miracles. Um, he's preaching Christ, and people are seeing, not, not only hearing the gospel, but seeing the miracles. People are getting healed. Demons are being driven out. I mean, all this stuff's going on, and they're like, yes, th- this has to be true. The, you have validated the message with the miracle, and this is what Jesus would do. He would talk about um, his messiahship, his lordship, and then he would do miracles, and the, the confirmation of the message was the, the power of the miracle. In fact, Jesus said in one point, he said, if you don't believe my, my message, at least believe the miracles I'm performing. Like, you can see that the things that I'm doing are authentic. You have blind people who have been blind from birth receiving their sight. You have people who've been crippled from birth receiving healing in their feet. You have people who are dead and they're having a funeral for this guy and carrying his casket on their shoulders. And Jesus says, hey, why don't you go ahead and, and be alive again? And the guy pops up out of, the, out of his casket. Like, are you saying you can't believe that there's power from God in this? So if you can't believe my message, at least believe the miracles that confirm that the message is true. And this is the thing that Philip was doing. He he was sharing the gospel, but then he was confirming the truth of it with miracles. And one of the people that got saved was Simon the sorcerer. This is E2 evangelism, which means that you have people who are kind of like us, but not exactly like us. Um, Maybe there's just some, some difference of culture, or background. It would be like if um, you and I went to a different part of the country. Say we, we're mostly rural around here, okay? Was that an accurate statement? Pretty rural. If you or I went to, we went a few years to LA, Los Angeles, to do ministry in LA among uh, people that were homeless, uh, inner city, okay? And this is a very different part of the country. It's uh, west coast. It is urban, and it is a very, very different country. We're still Americans. We're still all part of the USA. We still speak English, but it's just like, it's a very different experience of the USA than what we have here. And that's E to evangelism. You're ministering to people that are kind of like you, but a little bit different. A little bit different to an extent that there's, sometimes you got to have the Holy Spirit working through this to, to be able to really understand each other, communicate, and, and really get what's going on. So that's what Philip was doing in Samaria. He, he's doing E2 evangelism. He's sharing the gospel. They're getting saved. The Holy Spirit's working miracles. And Simon the sorcerer is one of the guys who gets saved. Now, Simon the sorcerer is this guy. Let me let me pause here for a second and just finish Philip's story. Uh, we see Philip. We know that it's Philip the deacon because the apostles stay in Jerusalem. We also know that because they also send two apostles to Samaria when Philip's done this ministry. So there's, there's an apostolic um, need to confirm the, the, the ministry that's going on there. And if Philip was an apostle, they, they wouldn't have needed to send Peter and John. Secondly, then he goes on to the Ethiopian eunuch. Then he, the last time we see him, uh, later in Acts, he's gotten settled down in Caesarea. He's got seven daughters that prophesy. The apostle Paul spends a few days with him at his house, and then we lose track of him. Okay, and that, and that's kind of the end of Philip's story. But that's Philip. Now, what happens with Simon is that uh, he apparently um, was this great person in his day to the extent that everybody seemed to highly regard him. He was, he was uh, regarded as almost a Messiah himself. Let me read his story here real quick. It says, but there was a man, this is... Uh, Acts 8 verse 9. There was a man named Simon who had previously uh, practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. So he's saying, I'm somebody great. Just take that in for a second. (laughs) That's kind of weird, but people believed him. I'm somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. So whether you were working in the gas station, or if you were the the governor of Samaria, I mean, you're paying attention to this guy and what he's saying, what he's doing, because he's apparently doing some pretty amazing things. Uh, This man is the power of God that is called great, or the the divine power of God. Like, they, they are seeing him do illusions and magic tricks to the extent that they believe whatever he's doing must be from some higher power. They all paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And then here's what happens. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So Philip is seeing authentic, real miracles being done by Philip. And he's amazed, because like, what he was doing probably was illusion. His sorcery or magic was fake, and he knew it. But he had tricked people into believing that it was real. And But when he saw real miracles, um, he was amazed by it. He put his faith in God. So this is interesting, because the next thing that we see is that Peter and John come down, or we say come down, Jerusalem is south of Samaria, But whenever you are going from Jerusalem to anywhere, you go down because Jerusalem is is regarded as holy, not because it's higher elevation. That that doesn't make a lot of sense because there are other places that are higher elevation than Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is regarded as holy. It's God's city. So when they leave Jerusalem and go anywhere, north, south, east, west, wherever, it's always going down. So they go down uh, up to Samaria to validate the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit there and what happens is Simon sees that they haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. They've been, the gospel's been presented, um, but uh, people are still just believing in Jesus without receiving the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John go around and they begin to lay hands on people and they receive the Holy Spirit. Probably confirmed uh, through speaking in tongues. That was a lot of the, the time that would happen. When people received the Holy Spirit in those days, the first thing that they would do is they begin to speak in tongues. Uh, and what that looks like to them, back then, I, I don't know. It's probably a little different than what we see in these days. It was probably they were speaking in a language they did not know, but other people did know. They were hearing their, their own language. They were hearing something that was clearly audible to them. Okay, But anyway, they lay their hands, and Simon the sorcerer wants this power, and so he's going to pay the apostles for this power to lay his hands on people. And they can receive the Holy Spirit if he were just lay his hands on them. Sounds good in some ways. I mean, doesn't it? Like, wouldn't you want that power? I could just go up to somebody and pow! Right? You're, uh, you don't believe me. Okay, so here's the deal. Why, why is that not necessary? You realize that it's just not necessary? What was going on in... Uh, Throughout Acts, is we're seeing the story. It's not really the story of the apostles. It's the story of the Holy Spirit and his work and his activity and how he moves and how he clarifies or confirms or validates the, the, the message. And so what's going on is that Peter, first of all, he preaches the gospel at the temple. Okay, the Jewish temple, all of the religious people are there. Holy Spirit is poured out. 3,000 people come to Christ. Remember, we're reviewing Acts through the lens of the prophecy and the promise and the command of Jesus that I will, you will be my witnesses to what? Jerusalem, then Judea, which are the same people group, and then Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Holy Spirit is given to Jerusalem. Okay, here's the first part of the body of Christ. It's the Jewish people. Secondly, it goes to Samaria. And and again, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but here is Peter laying his hands on people. Now, you don't need to lay your hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit because what's going on is that as Peter goes and he confirms the gospel is being presented, these people are part of the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit is poured out and they're receiving the Holy Spirit, then basically God is confirming all of the Samaritans are included in the body of Christ, those who believe. Those who trust Jesus Christ, if you're a Samaritan, you're not excluded because you're a Samaritan. You're included by faith. The next thing we see to the ends of the earth is Peter again. It's funny how Peter has this ministry of confirming because Jesus told him, he says, you, you will be uh, the one who has the, the keys to the kingdom. I don't believe that Jesus is sitting at the pearly gates in heaven when you go and asking you trivia questions. I mean, all the cartoons may look like that, but that's not really what's happening. What's going on is that Peter is just going to have a front row seat to see God confirm over and over and over that the Holy Spirit is going to be given to all those that believe. First to the Jewish people, next to the Samaritans, and then in Acts chapter 10 to Cornelius, the Roman soldier. This is E. uh, three evangelists. This is cross-cultural. This is a different person. This is a Gentile person who is Roman, who's not Samaritan. He's not... Jewish he is a a person who is what we call Gentile and so Peter goes shares the gospel and right before this do you remember Peter is in Joppa and he receives this vision of the the blanket coming down with all the all the animals on it snakes and and uh, I don't even know what kind of weird animals were on there here all unclean kind of things crabs and stuff that God's like go ahead and, and eat these things. Peter's like, I, I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. You know, a Jewish person eats beef and chicken uh, and, and fish. That's it. Like, we, we don't eat a lot of other things. I mean, goats and lambs, yeah. But we don't eat crabs and snakes. And, of course, we probably don't eat snakes either. How many of you have eaten a snake? I figured there are a few weirdos in here. So, <laughs> I'm, sure I'm sure it's delicious. Um, but Peter's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And so what happens is uh, God says, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. And he's, not re- he's referring to food, yes, all food is clean and all food can be eaten uh, if e- eaten with thanks. Uh, but he says it's really about the Gentile people being included. And so he goes to Cornelius, he preaches the gospel. Now, what happens, though, is that before he lays hands, before they're baptized or anything else, they receive the Holy Spirit. He's just, he's just there, Right? And they receive the Holy Spirit, and he's like, well, what can keep these people from being baptized? They've already received the Holy Spirit. So there again is another issue of when do you receive the Holy Spirit? When you get baptized. Is that the formula? No. It's when you believe. When you believe, the Holy Spirit comes, and and he lives in your heart, he lives in your soul, he changes you, makes you a new creation. Baptism is simply the outward profession of the faith that you have declared, so what happens though is that that third or, or that last group, all people, all Gentiles everywhere are included so it's all anybody who believes who's Jewish, anybody who believes who's Samaritan, anybody who believes who's Gentile, meaning the body of Christ is not divided any person uh, who will believe whether whether they're white or, or black or brown or whatever I mean any any amount of melanin in your skin isn't going to determine whether you're saved or not, right? That's not the determining factor. It's not your culture. It's not your language. It's not where you come from. It's faith in Jesus Christ in any culture, in every culture. So we don't have to go around laying our hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit. We still lay hands on people in prayer. We, we believe in the ministry of laying on of hands. But I cannot, and you cannot, and no one can. I don't believe. transfer spiritual power by touching you. At least I don't have that gift. I don't know that anybody necessarily does because it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of God. It's not my power any more than it would have been Simon's power. It wasn't really even the apostles' power. It was the Holy Spirit working through them to confirm what he was doing, what God was doing. Just think about this for a second. The apostles could not lay hands on a non-believer to receive the Holy Spirit they, they wouldn't receive the Holy Spirit if they didn't put their faith in Christ they, they couldn't somehow transfer power to them just because they wanted to like it, as if it were their choice the person had to believe and it's the same case today the person believes and the Holy Spirit comes and confirms and rests in and, and seals and empowers and gives you a ministry now here's the deal with Simon. He wants to buy this power. Why? First of all, Peter says, I don't know, Peter doesn't say this. I'm inferring this. It's not necessary. It's not necessary for you to go lay your hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit. They will receive the Holy Spirit by faith. But the reality of him wanting to, to buy this power is probably one of two things. One is, he, he's a magician who has bought magic tricks in the past and maybe he thinks that he can buy this magic trick as well, add it to his arsenal of tricks. Does he think it's a trick? Does he think it's real? I don't know. But there's something in his background that says when you see somebody who has a power or ability or a trick or an illusion or whatever, you try to get that for yourself. That's, that's his background. Now he could be forgiven that. Okay, but it may be something else. It may be that he wants to bribe Peter and John into giving him an, an apostolic office, the the ministry of the apostle. He wants to have that authority over people. And here's why I think that's probably more likely the case, because Peter says you're full of you're in the gall of bitterness, or full of bitterness, and in the bond of iniquity, you're a slave to sin. What that means is. If you understand bitterness, he's unforgiving. He's got some resentment for people, um, and he wants power over them. He's in the the he's a slave to sin, meaning he wants to use the apostolic office, the power of whatever ministry that he has, to gain notoriety, um, pleasure, or um, prosperity. Like, this is like the first prosperity preacher okay in, in the Bible. He wants a ministry to be able to manipulate people in order to gain something for himself, selfishly. That's what Peter he sees this in him. He says, this is your intention, your desire for this ministry is simply for you to get back to where you were before when, when you were highly regarded by all these people and making money hand over fist because of the tricks that you were doing. You, you haven't really changed. Now you've just changed your, your strategy. I want to tell you a couple of things about that real quick. One is that that, that ministry or that intent for ministry is alive and well today in this country and is prevalent. That there are people who are very good communicators, who are very charismatic, who are entrepreneurial in spirit, who are uh, able to manipulate the Bible, to gain control over people. If you read the New Testament, what you're going to see is a warning in almost every book against false teachers. And the false teachers aren't just speaking lies. They are speaking truth in order to gain manipulation, power, influence over people for themselves. So they can gain from that. And there are a lot of people, you have to be very careful when you're watching (sighs) preachers, teachers, podcasts, books, etc. Just be careful that when you hear somebody wanting money from you wanting you to to support their have to be really careful about that there are many good ministries that we want to support that are preaching the gospel Um, what we saw through history was the televangelists and etc who were really just out for themselves and sometimes it's hard to see that there are people doing the same thing today, but they're just better at hiding it. Does that make sense? <sighs> okay, so you get it. Sometimes it's hard to see it, though. And we get fooled, and then what happens is that the Bible says that that what is done in secret will be declared on the rooftops, and that when you see prominent, powerful, important teachers, preachers, whatever, who fall from grace, some of the time what's happening is what you're seeing is a revelation that their heart was like Simon the Sorcerer who really, they weren't really in it for ministry. They were in it for what they could get out of it. And God revealed that eventually and let that be known. And, and too, unfortunately, the destruction of a lot of people's faith who put too much emphasis and importance on that person and held them up on a pedestal and thought that they were really the name, the person, the personality that they were going to follow. And I guess I'm telling you, don't follow a person. <laughs> Any person. Follow Jesus. And people will come and go in your life and people will have influence and people will have importance you know, to some degree or other. And that's fine. Let that kind of flow through the teaching of God's word and but don't ever put your all your stock into anyone. I'm always trying to get myself out of a job. You ever see that like, just I I always like to throw that in there. So Simon sorcerer he wants to buy this thing and, and and here it is it's it's ungodly in that sense but it's also unnecessary in another because the whole point is this that uh, look at philip the apostle versus philip the deacon um, we never hear anything more about philip the apostle after the gospels i mean we don't hear anything about his ministry what he did what he said what he taught anywhere that he went there's i'm sure there's tradition about it but we don't see that in scripture about anything about philip the apostle's ministry but we do see something about philip the deacon's ministry and how he was obedient and how he had a significant impact on a lot of different people in a lot of different ways and here's the deal is that you don't have to be a professional ordained pastor or have a position in the church or have a, an office in, in ministry, whatever, in order to have a significant ministry. In fact, the, I guess the point I would love for you to understand is that because of the Holy Spirit's work in your life, you have a significant ministry. You ought to see your life as a significant ministry in whatever area that you find yourself in, that you are a light. Jesus said that that he is the light of the world, and he says that you are the light of the world. Somehow he says both of those things, and they're both absolutely true, that we reflect the light of Christ wherever we go. So when you're in your home or when you're in your workplace or you're in school or when you're in public or whatever you're doing, you are reflecting the light of christ, and, and your ministry is going to be different than anyone else 's ministry no Nobody is going to have the same exact impact than the person you 're sitting next to, even if you 're closely related, even if you live together, even if you work together because you have a different personality, you have a different uh, experience growing up, you have a different emphasis, you have a different you know, understanding of things, you have different education, you have different Things that you're passionate about, things that you're, you're annoyed by, I mean, all of that stuff. You're, we're all completely, uniquely different, and that means that your, your ministry is going to be completely, uniquely different and geared to you, geared to your specific situation. And when we begin to just see that it's, it's not me trying to have a ministry, it's just me trying to be obedient to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and sensitive to how he's moving, how he's growing me, how he's leading me, how he's gifted me. Some of the things that you understand about having ministry is that you should be good at something that the Holy Spirit has enabled you to be good at. And maybe it's good at talking to strangers. Maybe it's good at being hospitable. Maybe it's good at teaching. Maybe it's good at Serving, maybe it's good at just being present. Maybe it's good at praying. Maybe it's—I mean, I don't know what it is, but you should be—it should be something that you're just naturally or supernaturally good at. You don't have to try really hard to to be good at it. It's the Holy Spirit's enabled you to be good at it, and you want to. You find some joy in it. You you enjoy doing this thing, whatever it is. Now, here's a caution. For those who do serve in a lot of different ways and and feel called to serve, um, ministry can become um, a labor and and it can become stressful and it it can become difficult. And and I think that it's not so much about what the ministry is or how much effort you're putting into it. I really believe that it has a lot to do with two things, how much pressure you're putting on yourself to do it. I have to do this thing. I have to be good at it. I have to succeed in it. I have to work, you know, it's a lot about you trying to be in control, in charge of it. And part of it is um, you trying to have a control over the result. Um, I want to see this happen. I need to make sure that it uh, has this effect. And instead of just like, <laughs> the Holy Spirit's got to do the work, I can't do it. It's not about my, my ability, it's about his, his ability in me. And secondly, I can't get the results that I want, I have to let him get the results that he wants. And for some people, that means that you're going to be praying for your spouse for 20 years before they come to know Christ. But we've heard those stories. Some of you means that you're going to continue to be a light in your workplace and you're not going to see a result until years later. We just heard a story this morning uh, of that very thing happening where somebody goes away from a workplace 10 years later and calls somebody and says, hey, what's going on? They're like, yeah, I came to know Christ. And it had happened in their absence, but there was seeds planted, and, but you're just faithful to, to do what you're supposed to do in that time. I mean, you're going to pray for your kids for years and years and years and and maybe at some point they come back to Christ after being away for a long time. And you're just, maybe that's your ministry. I don't know what your ministry is, but it's not about getting the result that you want right now. It's about just being faithful in the right now. Here's the last thing, I promise. Peter rebukes him says, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're full of bitterness and, and slave to sin. Simon says, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Can I tell you this? Simon, I'm encouraged a little bit by his response. I don't know if he really was authentic in his response or not, but a lot of the time when people are, are sold over to their pride, they will be defensive when they're rebuked just absolutely angry that you would even bring up that they maybe have been wrong. He at least is responding in a way of, of concern uh, for where he's been, where he, where his heart has been. So I think that's a good thing. But here's, here's the bottom line of the story uh, that I want to tell you. This is hard, but um, a lot of Christianity today goes out of its way to be so positive that people never feel any concern whatsoever about judgment. It's always, you know, just love people to Christ, just encourage people and and tell people how great they are and never talk about sin and never tell people that there's any danger and just, just try to, you know, basically ease people into the kingdom and into believing and they'll just be so overjoyed with how good God is that they'll just be this wonderful Christian person. And what I'm telling you is that as, as fine as that may be in a lot of ways, there has to be some temperament of there is an urgency because of, of the negative aspect of, of judgment. I don't know if that makes sense, but what I'm saying is that Peter warned Simon. This book is like 75% warning, warning, get on God's path getting off his path is dangerous. Get on his path. Stay on his path. Keep accountable to what God is calling you to, that when you're straying over here and doing what the world does and and disregarding God's calling and his will and his... It's not good. You're going to hurt yourself. And and a lot of times we don't want to warn people because we don't want people to to feel bad. We just want them to feel good. And if we just make them feel good enough, long enough, then somehow that'll just, they'll just somehow go to heaven. I don't know. And I'm telling you that this is one place where we're going to make you feel bad sometimes. <laughs> I, I, don't, I Hopefully not all the time. But the world is dark. And life is short. And we have a little bit of opportunity to do a good thing and the right thing right now, and we don't know about tomorrow. So there is urgency in sharing your faith in living out your ministry and doing it right now and not waiting for 10 years down the road. Amen? And it, it should be a joy to you, but it shouldn't be something that you put off. Father, we love you. We thank you. Um, what a, what a good, awesome God you are. You have given us every tool, every, every opportunity, every strength, every capability, every, everything that we need to do all that you want us to do. Lord, your word tells us that uh, even, even the sin that, that uh, seeks to entangle us, you always give us a way out. And sometimes it's gonna be uh, fighting tooth and nail um, but you always give us a way out because you've given us your word, you've given us your spirit, you've given us the, the, the fellowship of the church for one another, you've given us uh, conviction in our hearts, you've, you've given us all these tools. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Um, even the spiritual battles that we fight, we don't fight them alone. You fight them with us and for us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for that. And we're just praying, God, that we would do what you've called us to do whatever it is wherever you put us lord help us to serve you help us to see ourselves as as a little light in a dark place wherever we are just pointing to you and we'll give you praise for what you do with that we love you lord in jesus name amen i want to encourage you and i want to invite you um we always invite you to receive Christ if you're in that E0 place where, for whatever reason, you just haven't quite gotten to that moment where you're like, yes, I need to receive Christ, and you're like, I want to do that. I'm going to tell you, we don't feel like we need to do that for you, okay? But we will always give you the opportunity to, to make that decision for yourself, and coming to the, what we call the altar, the stage, or whatever. It's just a moment where you say, I'm making that decision, and I'm going to make it public, and I'm going to make it clear that I'm putting my life in Christ's hands. You can do it right where you're at. You can do it when you go home. You can do it in the car. You can do it tomorrow night, okay? But we're calling for you to make a decision, amen? Secondly is maybe it's the ministry thing that's kind of on your mind. What's my ministry? What am I doing? Or I know what it is, but I'm not doing it. If you have something that God's impressed on your heart that you just need to say, yes, I need to follow through with that, come, just make a, a public statement. That's all it is, It's just saying, God, you called, I'm listening, and I'm going to do what you've called me to do. Amen? Let's stand and sing.